Fast Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And his team sucks. Well, the is where he's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, David Mack. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business Never put out in the hundred years of the Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. This is the Passball Show on the MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli, which are for a whole nother hour here. And I'll tell you, the last last portion of the program in this first hour is going to be exciting. we got a guy, a uh, former major leaguer, established himself very much in the minor leagues in the 1950s. Ed Mickelson will be joining the program. And that interview lasted probably almost about 20, a little over 25 minutes. And we get into a lot of things, really, in discussion to his career. And, you know, some things that I thought were really important about it. And, I'm like I said, we're going to let Ed tell the story in a little bit. But in the 1950s, the Pacific Coast League was almost a third major league. And players really felt that the playing conditions were better. The money wasn't really that much more by playing in the major leagues. And here's a guy that's going to really explain to you why he stuck around in the Pacific Coast League when he probably could have taken jobs in the majors. So that's something definitely exciting. If you listen to the first portion of the program, you, you heard my interview with Roy Sievers, the great power hitter for Washington Senators in the 1950s, Roger Mason, the former pitcher with the, the Pirates and the Philadelphia Phillies, amongst other teams in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, we're going to get into a couple issues on a historical aspect of things when we're talking about the history of Major League Baseball and, you know, with it any, being NHL playoff time, you know, there's a lot of references to the original six. And we talk about the six hockey teams that really, um, you know, are considered the uh, the 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 old the you know the old guard. The, you know, when there was just six hockey teams from 1942 to 1967. Of course, the Bruins, the Rangers, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, the Detroit Red Wings, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Montreal Canadiens. But you know, Major League Baseball kind of trails its way a lot longer than than the history of uh, of NHL hockey. Um, you know, you talk about the National League, the American Association, the American League, which became official in 1901 the, the fact that National League Baseball traces all the way back to, to the early part of the 1880s is something phenomenal and not only that but there's teams that came around that time that, that are still part of Major League Baseball right now and I find it phenomenal you, you know if you want to talk about 
what would be the original seven in the National League and Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, there's seven there's seven teams that are still uh, alive and well. You know, whether it's the Chicago Cubs, the Atlanta Braves, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, the San Francisco Giants, and then you got the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, you're talking about seven teams that were all around in the the uh, the uh, part of the 1880s. You want to throw the, the Los Angeles Dodgers in by 1884. That's eight teams that are in the National League that are still around right now, which I find phenomenal. And, you know, really started. And, of course, some teams were around then that aren't around anymore. And 1899 was a, was a big year because of the talk about the new league coming in, that there was four teams, team in Washington, Louisville, uh, Baltimore, and where's the other one that I'm forgetting? Uh, there, there's, there's one more team. But, but, yeah, there was four teams that were actually contracted after 1899. Cleveland, there you go. Cleveland, Washington, Baltimore, and Louisville uh, had, had uh, National League teams that were defunct after the, the 1899 season. But in 1876, you got the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubs started out as the Chicago White Stockings from 1876 to 1889, were known as the Chicago Colts from 1890 to 1897, the Chicago Orphans from 1898 to 1902, and now, of course, are the Chicago Cubs from 1903 on. The Philadelphia Phillies came in to uh, National League Baseball in 1883. They were known as the Philadelphia Quakers from 1883 to 1889. From 1890 till now, they're known as the Philadelphia Phillies. The Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, in, in my opinion, another very interesting team because they, they, were, they came around in 1882 where they were known as the Pittsburgh Alleghenies. And they stayed in uh, 1882 to 1890 as the Alleghenies became the Pirates in 1891. The Cincinnati Reds, 1882 to 1889, were known as the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And, and think about, the, you know, for some reason, uh, they, they thought, you know, naming it whatever color stockings was kind of the, the popular thing. And I think I think there's like three or four teams known as the stockings at the time. It was there's the red stock. The uh, was it the red stockings? Actually, two red stockings. There was a uh, brown stockings and a white stockings all at the same time. But moving forward, the Reds in 1890 become, the, of course, the Reds, where they stayed till 1953. And then from 1953 to 19, uh, was it 1959, they were known as the Cincinnati Redlegs before becoming the Reds again in 1960. The one, the, one of the teams that, in my opinion, really outside of the Braves, who I'll get into in a little bit, that had such an interesting change and in the consistent change of names uh, was the Brooklyn Dodgers, who, of course, are now the Los Angeles Dodgers. They started in 1884. They were known as the Atlantics in, in 1884. 1885 to 1887, they were known as the Brooklyn Grays. 1888 to 1890, and in 1896 to 1898, they were known as the Bridegrooms. And they were just known as the Grooms from 1881 to 1895. They became the Brooklyn Superbaz from 1899 to 1910, and again in 1913. And of course, they first became known as the Dodgers in, in 1911. 1911 and 1912, and then after that, because of their manager, Wilma Robinson, they were known as the Brooklyn Robins from 1914 to 1931, becoming the Dodgers again, of course, in 1932 and lasting until 1957, where they moved to Los Angeles. That's obviously where they are right now. 
the Atlanta Braves, and, and I think when you talk about historical franchises, particularly in the National League, they, they, they probably go further down the list when you start to think about their their uh, their history and everything that they've brought to the table and, and, and the fact that they are really a historical franchise when it comes to the history of the National League. This is a team that came in in 1876. From 1876 to 1882, they were known as the Boston Red Stockings. And the only other team that has uh, roots to as far back as 1876 is the Chicago Cubs. And, and you know, I know you think about the Pirates, you think about the Reds, maybe even the Cardinals and Phillies to some extent, the two New York teams with the, the Giants and the Dodgers. But it's the Braves, the Braves of Boston, the National League team that really traces back as far back as anybody else other than the Chicago Cubs. And I find that phenomenal. The Braves in 1883 to 196 were known as the Boston Bean Eaters. They were known as the Boston Doves in 1907 to 1910, the Boston Rustlers in 1911, the Braves, of course, from 1912 to 1935, and then again from 1941 to 1940. The St. Louis Cardinals came in originally in 1882 as the St. Louis Brown Stockings. And in spite of the American League team at the turn of the century becoming the St. Louis Browns, they were known as the St. Louis Browns from 1883 to 1898. 1899, they were known as the Perfectos, the St. Louis Perfectos. And of course, 1900 to now, they're the St. Louis Cardinals. You also got the Giants, the New York Giants, were known from 1883 to 1884 as the New York Gothams. And ever since 1885, to 1957, they were the New York Giants. From 1958 now, they're the San Francisco Giants, which we all knew that. But uh, I, you know, I find it really, really interesting when you look back and, you know, I, I don't like the comparison or actually I don't like to talk about uh, the, you know, and I know the historical, the big time NHL fan talks about the original six like it's the greatest thing in the world. You want to talk about something even greater than that. Talk about something in Major League Baseball that traces all the way back to, to the 1870s and 1880s. That's history for you, my friends. And, you know, I, I do think people kind of just uh, overlook that, like it's really no big deal. But going back, and, uh, you know, we hit an anniversary of something, and it wasn't a historical anniversary, but in 1979, one of the 20th, 20, 20 greatest games in the history uh, that, uh, in regards to the MLB network over the past 50 years was the 23-22 game involving the Philadelphia Phillies and the Chicago Cubs. And this was, on the whole countdown, it was the only non-playoff game that was highlighted. And really, one of those one of those amazing days where just the ball the ball seems to be flying out the you know in Wrigley Field, and you get and you get the whole uh, the, you know the home runs. Uh, what I find amazing was how how this game got started with both pitchers being taken out in the first inning, and I think it's it it, it really is a historical game if you get a chance to look at it because you know how many games do you see 45 runs in the first six or seven innings of a ball game? I, I think I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, you know, 
uh, a game to kind of be part of. And of, of course, a lot of a lot of us, you know, like me, I wasn't around that time. Um, you know, my birth is in the latter part of 1979, so I'm not even around yet. But what what is, what is great about this game is the fact that so many runs were scored, so many different things happened. The fact that there were so many home runs hit in this game. And before we get into it, and I do want I do want to talk about it for a little bit. Uh, we're going to take you back to really what was going on in 1979, because uh, you know, as a baseball fan, maybe you don't even remember what happened in 1979. The defending World Series champion, the two-time defending World Series champion, were the New York Yankees. Something that's probably not different than what you've seen over the last 20 plus years. But you know, later on that season, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates against the against of course the the Baltimore Orioles and the Orioles end up beating him in a in a very good seven game series and uh, you know you know history is made with the with the whole uh, Willie Stargell we are family and it becomes a very good uh, you know very, one of the better world series that really happened but uh, the the date of this game May 17th 1979 was uh, you know less than a month or around a month before the tragic death of Yankee captain Thurman Munson who dies in a plane crash uh, I'm sorry actually like two months in, in August of that year and in, in, in a very sad moment of course but going back to the Phillies and the Cubs and neither of these teams were very good that season the Phillies though had, had uh, won three straight NL East titles to that point in 76 77 and 78 and were considered favorites in a, in a 79 season remember they signed free agent Pete Rose away from the Cincinnati Reds this was a team that was struggling their manager Danny Ozark ends up being replaced by Dallas Green a little bit later on in the season the Cubs weren't expected to to be very good. Their manager was also replaced that season. Herman Franks was replaced by Joey Amalfitano, who, of course, is the, the very good coach that's on Tommy Lasorda's staff for all those years later on. Uh, obviously, the wind's blowing out. We're talking about the wind blowing out here at Wrigley Field, always a recipe for disaster for starting pitchers. The Phillies come up. Of course, they get going right away. And uh, Dennis Lamp, the starter for the Cubs, ends up getting knocked out of the game. Mike Schmidt, Bob Boone hit home runs. And then Phillies pitcher Randy Lurch, homers off of relief pitcher Donnie Moore. Yes, that Donnie Moore uh, in the first inning. The Phillies come out there. They got a 7-0 lead before the Cubs even come to bat. And they get six in the bottom half of the first. David Dave Kingman hits a three-run homer. That, that, that ends Lurch's night. He, he, he was done. Um, you know, uh, Moore comes back. He hits an RBI triple off of reliever Doug Bird. So 13 runs scored in the first inning. You had a feeling this was just going to be one of those days. But really the way this game kind of goes, I find it very interesting because the Phillies keep adding to their lead. And, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with guys like uh, Boone and uh, Bake McBride making it 9-6, to six, a two-run Pete Rose double chases Donnie Moore, and all of a sudden it's 11-6. to six. Willie Hernandez comes in the game for the Cubs, and, of course, Hernandez would pitch for the Phillies and later on for the Detroit Tigers, uh, you know, helping them to the 84 World Series. Gives up a three-run homer to Gary Maddox. All of a sudden it's 15-6 to six, Phillies. They add two more to make it 17 to 6 in the fourth inning. An 11 run deficit that you really don't see going anywhere, but in Wrigley Field with the wind blowing out, you never know. Kingman hits a second home run of the game, a solo shot. A two run shot by by third baseman Steve Onavaris makes it 17-9. Uh, Bird's still in the game. Hernandez on the ropes in the, in, the, in the fifth inning, and all of a sudden it's 21 to 9 by the time Willie Hernandez comes out of the game. It, the second lead of of 11 or more runs that the Phillies have early on. 
And, you know, Danny Ozark, who ends up losing his job that season for the, for the Phillies, did a phenomenal job getting a team to all those, uh, the, those postseasons takes a chance he says listen I got to bring in my best pitcher at this point because it, it, it's it's crazy the way it's going and he goes to Tug McGraw and what, what I find really interesting about it in the fifth inning you go to your closer I, you could trust your closer to protect a 12-run lead now not not in Wrigley Field with the wind blowing out like it was the Cubs quickly fill the bases a, a grand slam by uh by Bill Buckner after a bases loaded walk and all of a sudden you got a football score it's a it, it's Bears 21 I'm sorry, it's the Eagles 21 and the Bears 13. Jerry Martin hits a three-run homer. Barry Foote doubles. And Tug McGraw all of a sudden is out of the game in that same fifth inning. And, you know, the, the amazing thing about it is the Cubs go out there and they make this game 21 to 19. And checking records, I, I, I haven't got a chance to check every game. And maybe you could find it better off of Google. And if you want, you could tweet me at John underscore Pielli and let me know if I'm wrong about this. But sit through six innings of a game. I don't think there has ever been 40 runs scored in the first six innings of a game in the history of Major League Baseball. You know, if you want to call me on it, listen, tell me if I'm wrong. But I, I, I think that's the first time and the only time that that's ever happened. So based on that pace through the first six innings of the game, you're thinking you might see 50, 60 runs in this game. Well, for some reason, it becomes a pitcher's duel after that. Phillies add themselves a run in the seventh by, with an RBI double by Boone. Uh, you know, Ron Reed, a relief pitcher, actually gets the job done. Ray Burris comes in, gets the job done. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden – it's it, you know it's it's just a a, a three run game. Bruce Suter comes in. Uh, Suter throws a scoreless ninth inning. Rolly Eastwick co comes out there and, and gets a job done in his half of the inning. But the the Cubs at that time had tied the score at 22. So all of a sudden you got a 22 22 game going into the tenth inning. And the phenomenal thing about this, Rolly Eastwick throws another scoreless inning, and then it's Mike Schmidt with the home run off a of suitor to give the Phillies a 23-22 game. But, uh, you know, I talked a little bit, or actually I wrote a little bit in my blog about the veteran pitchers that were used in this game, all with experience as major league closers with McGraw, Donnie Moore, Willie Hernandez, uh, and, you know, and, 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 you know, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, uh, relief pitchers that got beat up in this game. And you look at McCarver, Tim McCarver, Bobby Mercer, Mike Vale, Greg Lazinski all came off the bench, but Harrelson was on the Phillies roster but didn't play and you know as a baseball fan I think you, li you like to appreciate all the uh, the old-time players that were in this game but 45 runs 50 hits 10 doubles three triples 15 walks to go with just 11 strikeouts and really one of the more incredible uh, offensive output games in the history of Major League Baseball so that's that's one thing I got a chance to write about feel free check it out bases empty blog on my johnpla.com website all my articles I, uh, I also so send over to mtrmedia.com so you can check that out mtrmedia.com uh, slash John Pielli and you can check a lot of different things that are going on there but once again Passball Show MTR Radio Network uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break uh, we're going to finish up for a couple minutes and we'll get into the Ed Mickelson interview MTR Radio is already your home for the best sports talk in New York and Philly 
Coming soon, the next leap in the evolution of internet radio will have you tuning in all day, every day. Close out your workday with Sean Bretherick and Dan Feuerstein from 3 to 5 p.m. Then when your teams are done for the day, David Dobin will be there to recap all the action from 10 to midnight. It all starts Monday, May 6th on MTR Radio, America's radio station. You're listening to MTR Radio. Back after this. back this is the past ball show right here on emtr radio network of course this is john pielli kind of reminding you about everything going on in major league baseball and we talk all the time about uh pop teams and the fact that uh, all our predictions that we make before the seasons go right to the wayside as soon as the the regular baseball season starts and just to give you a little reminder as far as where we are right now the New York Yankees, the Cleveland Indians, and Texas Rangers lead the divisions in EAL, while the Arizona Diamondbacks, St. Louis Cardinals, and Atlanta Braves are leading the NL right now. And you look if you want to, if you want two wild card teams, you ready for them? In EAL, you got the you got the Boston Red Sox and the Detroit Tigers, and in the National League, it looks like you got the the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that being said, what does that mean? And in my opinion it means absolutely nothing but you know what that means is that the angels the athletics the blue jays the rays the orioles and even the Royals, for some extent, are all left out in the American League. And the National League team's not going to the postseason. The defending champion Giants, the Washington Nationals, and then some other teams that were thought to have a little more hope, like like the Philadelphia Phillies. And, yeah, you know, I, I guess that's kind of it. But, uh, you know, the way we look at things is that, we, you know, it's all about what happens right now or what – what is going on at this very moment because a team that has a one and zero record against a team that has a zero and one record that one and zero team has to be better than any other team i don't agree with that there's way too much baseball to, to happen right now we've talked before about the angels the blue the blue jays the los angeles dodgers teams that had that was had some faith coming into the season to do very well that aren't right now it doesn't mean they're done and you saw the Toronto Blue Jays over the last week before they ran into the New York Yankees playing some very good baseball. And they're capable of it. The one thing that has devastated them and probably hurt them the most is the injury to Jose Reyes. Reyes will be back soon, hopefully playing at his best. And I do think that's something that's going to make a very big impact in regards to what's going on here in, in, in Major League Baseball. And the Angels, listen, what should we do with the Angels? Uh, is Mike Sosha absolutely out? Well, eventually it, it's going to happen if the play keeps up. And I do think that there's one thing that we got to look at is what is leading 
a team with as much talent and we could talk about the Dodgers as well you know but but, we, but we're, what we're talking about right now in regards to the the Los Angeles Angels it, it is a bunch of questions of why why is this team you know as many games under 500 as they are Mike Trout is not that uh, you know 21 year old MVP like we thought he was when he was 20 years old does that mean he's shot no uh, Albert Pujols is hitting 241. Josh Hamilton has struggled to a 216 average with just 12 RBIs. And maybe it's a situation where just some of the mix isn't working. But one thing that I do want to point out before we go crazy and blame, uh, you know, the, the structure that's, that's set up with the Angels as being, uh, hey, Artie Marino just – just going out crazy and spending money is the fact that Pujols, Hamilton, and Trout are, are all going to do better than they are right now. Uh, if anybody thinks that Josh Hamilton is going to go out there and hit 216 and drive in 40 run, runs in 160 games, you're out of your mind. Mike Trout is closer to what he was last year than what he is right now. Albert Pujols is not a 241 hitter. So those three players are going are gonna to contribute to the change of the Angels probably doing a little bit better better and did you forget because some people already do that Jared Weaver hasn't been with the team since the second start of the season you know Tommy Hansen's been hurt Joe Blanton's 0-7 with a six plus ERA he'll probably be gone soon but this is a team that is better than they've shown to this point Ryan Madsen is a guy still coming back from Tommy John surgery who has yet to pitch in a game you know when you go out there and go crazy and just want to say today oh that's what you get for spending money I'm Mark my words, the Angels will be back. And if I had a choice between the Angels, the Toronto Blue Jays, or the Los Angeles Dodgers, I would tell you that the Angels have the best chance of coming back. And and you know what? Honestly, I hope it happens soon because I don't want to see Mike Social lose his job. I don't think it will be fair for a guy that's that good of a manager to take the fall for some faulty moves made by Jerry DePoto and maybe some faulty influence for manager for Verona or Artie Moreno. Uh, I, I hate to see Socha pay the price here. But honestly, from the, the team's perspective, from the perspective of the team, you know, with the, with the Los Angeles angels and their expectations it's got to change things got to change for the better soon and i'm talking about very soon because if it doesn't happen then you're looking at something that's just going to get uglier and uglier and i don't know i don't know if a guy like larry boa is going to change the the angels performance particularly when you got all that competition in the league but couple things that are going to happen better for them. Weaver's going to come back and he's going to be fine. The pitching is going to get a little bit better. You bring back a healthy Tommy Hansen, a Ryan Madsen in the bullpen, and Pujols, Hamilton, and Trout are much better than they've shown this season. So if I had, if I had to put money on one of those three teams, the Angels, the Dodgers, or the Blue Jays, I would put my money on the Angels. I do think the Dodgers will be better once Hanley Ramirez comes back, once Zach Greinke comes back, but I think there's more of a concern about the mix in that team because you still got the Crawfords, the Gonzalez's, the Josh Beckett's, the guys who are over in, uh, who are over with the Boston Red Sox, influencing the clubhouse in a bad way. So I do have some concern with the Dodgers. I do think that the Dodgers are more inclined to change their manager and change their manager soon. Don Manningly could be out by the time this show is running on Saturday morning from 10 to 12. But listen, I want to want to thank before we get ourselves into our interview with uh, Ed Mickelson, who was a former player in the 19. 1950s had a very good minor league career and uh, you know had to first hit off a Warren spawn a lot of different things we're going to get into over the length of this interview 
I do want to thank everybody for having some time. So thanks to Ed Mickelson, who you're going to hear in a little bit. Thanks to Roy Seavers, who, of course, was a slugger in the 1950s with the Washington Senators. And thanks to Roger Mason for all being part of this program. And feel free to tweet at me, at John underscore P-L-E, last name P-I-E-L-L-I. During the duration of this program, I'm telling you, I will reply to every tweet. So, you know, on behalf of everybody from MTR, thanks a lot for having some time. We're going to get ourselves right into our interview with Ed Mickelson. You're, uh, you're listening to the Passball Show on the MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flipping out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. covering the most current topics today check us out on mtrradio.com we offer packages to advertise on our website and on mtr radio get your name in front of over five and a half million people advertise on mtr today email info at mtrmedia.com for details yo now
Absolutely. All right, listen, Ed, thanks, thanks a lot, man. Listen, I hope to speak to you again soon, and uh, thanks again.